Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Three Point Threat, a Utah Jazz show. I'm your host, Jared Woodcox. I'm thrilled to be back on here with you all. Um, as I'm sure you're all aware, last week was not exactly kind to the Utah Jazz. Obviously, they went just one in three uh, with three straight disappointing losses. Uh, wasn't exactly fun to see. So for point number one, I just want to talk about you know what gives with the Utah Jazz, what's wrong, what has happened during this three-game losing streak that has them where they're at. Obviously, you know, in my mind, there's there's a need for changes. So let's talk first, though, for point number one about what's going wrong with the Jazz. What are the biggest issues? Then for point number two, you know, rather than just talk about the issues and leave it at that, I want to offer a couple of solutions. Obviously, they're in kind of a tough spot right now just because of their personnel and with the issues that they're facing. Um, I don't claim to be an expert like Quinn Snyder and Dennis Lindsay are, but I do want to give my two cents on what I think the Jazz could do to fix their recent woes. So that'll be point number two. Then last of all for point three, as always, going to look at the week ahead. Um, the Jazz continue their six-game road trip this week. They'll have three games, um, Wednesday against the Bulls, Friday against Boston, and Saturday against Cleveland. Uh, that's the slate they have for games two, three, and four of the six-game road trip. Um, that started in Milwaukee on Saturday. So that's what we have ahead. I'll preview those three games and give you my thoughts. Uh, before that, let's get started with, as I said, point number one. Let's talk about what's wrong with the Utah Jazz. Point one. Obviously, it goes without saying the Utah Jazz are in a bit of a tough spot right now. We all knew that December was going to be a really tough month for them, obviously, just with the number of games, uh, the number of road games um, during that stint as well as the number of tough opponents that they're facing. Um, coming into the month, and even at the start of December, the Jazz were rolling. They had won six in a row. Uh, you know, Rudy Gobert came back from injury. In that first game back, the Jazz posted a huge win uh, where they beat the Washington Wizards by 47 points. And, you know, when Rudy Gobert came back and the Jazz got that big win, it looked like everything was going to be good. You know, I was feeling pretty optimistic about Utah's chances moving forward. Uh, but since then, things have looked far from good. Obviously, they've lost three straight, uh, first to Oklahoma City, uh, then to Houston, then to Milwaukee. Um, you know, the game against Oklahoma City, I had actually expected the Jazz to lose that one, but then once they got going and they were up by as much as 17 and they were in control for most of the game, that one ended up being so disappointing to me because really it was just a bad fourth quarter that doomed them. And a lot of that was them playing on the second night of a back-to-back, -back, but, you know, a lot of that was just they couldn't get it done late in the game. They had a long scoring drought where they couldn't score. Um, you know, Ricky Rubio played really bad in the fourth quarter, and I think that really hurt the Jazz. So even though, you know, like I said, going in, I expected the Jazz to lose to Oklahoma City, just the way that they did it made it really sting. I would have almost preferred that they had trailed the whole game and lost that way because then it would have kind of matched my expectations. The fact that that one really should have been a win for the Jazz and they just let it slip away uh, made it really tough. The game against Houston, obviously it was back at home for the Jazz, but I didn't have much hope for them in this one. I mean, Houston's just been playing way too good. Honestly, you could make a strong argument that they're the best team in the league right now. So that one was pretty expected. Uh, Milwaukee... You know, this one, in a lot of ways, I felt like this one hurt the most because I really thought the Jazz going in would win this game. Um, that would keep them, you know, above 500. Um, I was liking their chances in that game because they had just beat Milwaukee pretty handily not, not long before that. Um, so it was disappointing to see them just kind of get blown out of the building by the Bucks. The Jazz got close at one point, but really Milwaukee dominated that game. And yes, you could argue that those three games, you know, minus Milwaukee, I'd say, uh, were against tougher competition. So maybe that's why the Jazz didn't look as good as they did during their six-game uh, winning streak. 
But still, even the even though the teams were better, I think you just look at the Jazz and with Rudy Gobert back in action, they simply didn't have you know the flow, they didn't have the ball movement, they didn't have the scoring prowess that they had had during their six game road or their, sorry, excuse me, their six game winning streak. And during that six game winning streak, I mean, they were just blowing teams out right and left. So the fact that then during this three game losing streak, they would just struggle the way they did. Obviously, things aren't quite going well. And, you know, there's a lot of scapegoats out there right now for Jazz fans. A lot are blaming Ricky Rubio. A lot are blaming Derek Favors. Some are blaming, uh, you know, Rudy Gobert or maybe the trio that those three combined. Some are blaming Rodney Hood for always being injured and being out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And, and, you know, I tend to agree that it's not really one player per se. um, But as we've seen lately, that Rubio, Favors, and Gobert trio just isn't working well together. And recently on Twitter, um, you know, Salt City Hoops Dan Clayton had a cool post I really enjoyed. And it was showing, you know, the productivity of those three players um, when they're together, when the three of, of Rubio, Gobert, and Favors on the court together versus when each one is paired off. So, you know, Rubio, Gobert, Gobert, Favors, and Favors, Rubio. And really, you know, when you look at those numbers, it hasn't necessarily been the pairs that have been bad together, but it's been when all three are on the court together, um, they've been absolutely dismal. In a lot of ways, that makes sense. Um, because you have Favors trying to play the four, which he's clearly shown is not his strong suit in you know today's NBA. Um, you have Gobert that you know he he's great in the paint, but he's not causing opponents to you know really have to be spaced out. And that's really the biggest issue is just when those three are on the court, um, there's no spacing. You know guards can sag off of Rubio. Um, you know Favors he's trying to extend his range, but he's still not much of a threat from deep at all. Gobert obviously isn't a threat from anywhere you know outside of right underneath the basket. So opponents can just pack the paint, and that lineup is extremely easy to guard. Joe Ingles obviously is, is a great three point shooter. Uh, you know great scorer in that lineup but again with with them being able to pack the paint they just have to stick one guy on Ingles and it's pretty hard even for him to find success so looking at that and knowing that that trio that's been so bad together is in the starting lineup I just think there has to be a change and I'll get more in point number two about what I think those changes should be Uh, but sticking with you know point number one which is what is what's going on with the Jazz what's the problem here Uh, principally I think the problem resides first and foremost with Ricky Rubio I mean, we all knew his shooting was going to be bad, uh, but it's been worse than I think we even imagined. His field goal percentage is down from last year. He's shooting a career low in three-point percentage. And just, you know, even his strengths have not been there. When he came in, we assumed that he was going to be solid on defense, uh, that he was going to be great and a great assist man. That's what he's been known for his whole career. But you look at his numbers right now, and, you know, really he's been pretty dang ineffective on defense. Hasn't been able to stay in front of almost anybody. Um, He's logging a career low in assists. He's actually down below five per game now. Um, He's putting up the most turnovers per game that he has since his rookie year, um, despite a career low in minutes. And he's also tied for a career low in steals. Um, You know, he has a negative plus minus, a negative net rating. Uh, I feel like I go on and on about just how bad Ricky Rubio has been for the Jazz. And it kind of pains me to say that. I don't necessarily think that Ricky Rubio is a terrible player. Um, But so far up to this point, he's definitely been a terrible fit with the Jazz at the very least. And quite frankly, the numbers don't lie at all. He's been very painful to watch. I feel like his decision making has been bad. His energy and even his effort just don't seem to be there. I just don't think that Ricky Rubio is fitting in well with this team at all. And it's really hurting. Another part of that is, you know, we were all excited to see Ricky Rubio and Rudy Gobert run the pick and roll. And Rubio has been awful with that. He hasn't been able to get Gobert easy looks. And it's really hurt uh, Gobert's game big time. And I do think with a lot of Gobert's struggles this season, a lot of that blame rests on Rubio's shoulders. But that aside, and I'm going to be frank, I think Gobert has looked awful so far this year. He just hasn't been his old self. 
and I may draw a lot of ire from some jazz fans um, with this next little piece I'm going to talk about, but I just got to say, guys, I have been absolutely disappointed in Rudy Gobert this season. I feel like he's kind of just riding on the coattails of last season, and he's kind of hoped that the reputation he built last year would carry him through to this year, and honestly, that hasn't been the case at all, and he hasn't impressed me from the beginning of the season. Um, you know, like I said, I hope a lot of that is just because him and Rubio aren't clicking, aren't connecting, and that it's not a problem with Gobert or that he didn't put the work in over the offseason. I mean, I can't see him doing any of that, but just based on what I'm seeing on the court, guys, something is just off, and it, it's really frustrating. Um, it's really nerve-wracking. I don't know what to think, um, but Gobert just has not looked very good so far this year. I mean, you look at his numbers, and they're down from last year pretty significantly, uh, whereas his turnovers are up. He happens to be dead last on the team in plus-minus after being, you know, a plus-minus and an advanced stat kind of uh, beast last year. Um, he's second to last in net rating, only ahead of Joe Johnson, who's only played in seven games. Um, so, you know, none of that are good signs. I know that, you know, numbers, maybe they don't tell us everything, but they tell us a lot. And based on what we've seen Gobert do this year, I think those are unfortunately pretty accurate. Um, but beyond all that, he's just been unreliable on offense. You know, it seemed like last year he was he was starting to get some some better moves in the post. Um, he'd kind of take a Euro step or he could do a little hook shot um, and have some success around the rim. We just haven't really seen much of that this year. He did get 20 points against Milwaukee, which is a good sign. Um, but his good offensive games have been few and far between. Um, and I know that he's just coming off an injury. But even before the injury, he just hasn't looked like the Gobert of old at all this season. And like I said, that's very nerve-wracking. It's a little bit frightening. Something I've also noticed all year and something that Andy Larson of KSL also recently brought up, but it just seems like Rudy Gobert is not contesting opponents like he once did. I feel like opponents are getting to the rim quite easily, and honestly, guys, I almost feel like it's like opponents aren't scared of Rudy Gobert anymore. You know, he built up this reputation last year. He kind of caught people off guard, um, but especially with Gordon Hayward leaving and Gobert emerging as the face of this franchise, it's almost as if he's not catching people off guard anymore. They're not scared of him, and he just hasn't been that effective at all this year, and it's really worrisome. I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm in the camp of, oh, we need to trade Gobert. You know, that's something that's going around Twitter. There's people that just want to move Gobert and give up on him, which I think is absolutely absurd after he was an all-NBA center last year. But I will say that I think Derek Favors has fit better and looked much better at the center spot um, with this year's team than Gobert has been. So, you know, that has led a lot of people to say, well, there's got to be a trade of some sort. Um, but in my mind, I think it's too early to give up on Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert, we all know what he can be, what he has been. I still think he has a ton to prove this year. Um, so while it may end up being there needs to be a trade, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in point two, I just don't think it's wise to give up on either of them just yet. Um, but going back to Gobert, you know, there's two things that I really worry about with him. And the first one is that, you know, I know that we all look at him as a top player in the league, and I think he is and can be if he can get back to where he was last year. But I worry that for Gobert to be effective, he simply has to have good players around him. He's not the kind of guy that's just going to make your team good on his own, which is unfortunate. I feel like Hill and Hayward did a great job of you know, helping Gobert on offense. Um, they were good defenders that made his life easier as far as protecting the rim. Um, they, Like I said, they made Gobert look good, whereas so far guys like Rodney Hood and Ricky Rubio, they've just not made Gobert look, but look good. They haven't been able to help him maximize his talents. The other thing that scares me about Rudy Gobert, and um, I'm a little nervous to bring up this comparison, I could get a lot of flack for it, but just hear me out because I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna say Gobert's in this extreme or this bad of a camp, um, but I do worry that you know, um, with how the game is changing, um, you know how we're going away from traditional bigs. I, I'm just worried, and I don't want to see Rudy Gobert get outdated. 
Um, these are a little bit different situations, but in some ways, I, I'm a little bit nervous that there's a possibility that Rudy Gobert could have a similar experience as Roy Hibbert. And again, hear me out. I know that these are different players. I do think that Gobert is a lot better than Hibbert. He has a lot more, um, a lot more gifts on both sides of the floor that could prevent this from happening. I think he's stronger mentally. But you know, the thing with Roy Hibbert was he went from being a defensive extraordinaire, a key piece to the the best team in the Eastern Conference, at least in the regular season, to all of a sudden, you know, he's not even he can't even make it in this league anymore. And you know, there were there's a lot of similarities there in that. Uh, excuse me, that Rudy Gobert. He's an excellent defensive player, excellent rim protector. His offense isn't quite uh, where we'd like it to be per se, especially this year. It hasn't been. And, you know, honestly, to Hibbert's credit, he was a better, you know, mid-range, mid-range shooter than Gobert. He had a few more offensive weapons. But there just came a point where his plotting big man defense and his style wasn't enough to make up for how easy it was for opponents to stretch him out. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is going to happen, that Rudy Gobert is going to go the same route as Roy Hibbert did and just kind of fade away as the game continues to adapt and change and move away from a traditional big man. But it's a worry that I have. I have to be frank. The way that we have seen Gobert play so far, he just hasn't looked the same as last year. We really need him to get back on track. Um, we really need him to prove himself. The good news, guys, I'm not saying this to hit the panic button. I'm not saying that we need to give up on Gobert, that there's a huge unsolvable problem here. I think Gobert very well could still be, you know, a top 10 player in this league, could still be an all-NBA center, all of that. There are some concerns, as I've voiced, um, but I think he can get back on track, and I hope that he will. The last thing I'll say about Gobert, you know, a little bit of hope um, about his situation is, you know, last season... You know, we all remember Gobert having this great season last year, and he did, without a doubt. But he didn't really truly break out until after the All-Star break. I mean, he was good all year long, but there was a reason why he wasn't an All-Star, but then he went on to be, you know, on the All-NBA teams. And, and a big part of that was timing, and also just because it was more in the second half of the season when he, he really burst onto the scene. And, you know, we hoped that he could just pick up right where he left off and take off this year. That hasn't quite been the case so far. But we could kind of see a repeat where as he adapts to new teammates and, and a new situation and new system and all that, he finally gets comfortable. And we see the Rudy Gobert of old really come out strong in the second half of the season. And if that happens, it's going to be excellent for the Jazz. Honestly, they can't afford for him to wait until the All-Star break. They need him back much sooner than that. They need him to be effective and contributing at the level he was last year way before that. But that is a little bit of hope, I guess, that, you know, last year he bloomed a little bit late. He broke out a little bit late, so maybe he's just adapting right now. Obviously, we know that he's had to overcome the injury he was dealing with. Um, so if that all comes together and comes into place, we could see him get back, you know, right where we wanted to be before the end of the season and with a lot of time to spare. So... As I said, you know, some concerns there with, with Gobert, but I think he's going he's gonna to bounce back from it. I don't expect him to be a bust as other big men have been kind of in his shoes. He's, he's too strong mentally. He's got too good of a coach, and I think he's going to bounce back from this. But really the biggest problem with the Jazz in my mind has been that trio of Rubio, Favors, and Gobert just not being able to coexist on the floor together. Um, to me, Rubio is the principal concern, the principal problem. So with all that being addressed, let's move on to point number two, where I'll try to piece together a solution. How can the Jazz fix this? Point two. So I've, I've brought up the problem pretty clearly. You know, that there could be a few things working against the Jazz, but that big one is just that, that combination of Rubio, Favors, and Gobert. It's easy as fans and spectators to pick out these problems and complain about them and whine about them. It's another thing entirely to have a, a solution for those that is feasible. Um, I'm going to try to piece together what I think the Jazz should do, the route I think they should go based on their recent struggles. Um, you know, not only in the recent three-game losing streak, but also in the losing streak, you know, earlier in the year where they, where they lost seven of eight. 
um, you know, before before they had that nice six-game winning streak. Obviously, the Jazz were struggling back then as well. So, you know, the easy, simple solution to this, the, the, the no real meat to it, is just, well, if the Rubio favors Gobert trio is struggling together, then we need to stop playing those three together, right? That's the easy solution. Sounds easy. Uh, but unfortunately, that's a little bit easier said than done. And part of the reason for that, I mean, obviously you have Rubio, who's the purported starting point guard of this team. Um, you have Gobert and Favors, who they're easily two of the best players on the team. I'd say they're easily in the top five, both of them. And if you're not playing them together, uh, that means you're severely limiting one of their minutes. And, and that's really been the problem, is that Favors is better as the backup center rather than having to log this time at power forward. But even if Rudy Gobert only plays 30 minutes a night, that leaves only 18 per night for, for Derek Favors. And quite frankly, he's better than that. He's better than a player that should just be on the floor for 18 minutes per night. So that's really the big problem, is that you have these three guys that... Um, you can say are or at least should be a critical part of the Jazz's um, attack plan. Obviously, I think Rudy Gobert, like I said, and Derek Favors are two of the best players on this Jazz team. And if you're going to not play them together, you know, you're either wasting their talent or, or you're just not putting your best guys on the floor and it becomes tricky to know how to move forward. Um, the one bit of hope with all that, though, is that I do think there's proof that two of those three may be able to coexist. I mentioned that a little bit in point number one. So, you know, when you look at especially Rudy and Favors, I don't think you give up on that tandem just yet. You know, even though Favors has looked better as a backup center, I think you can have an argument that those two may be able to play at the four and five together as long as there's more spacing beyond them on the court at the same time. So I guess my first solution um, is simply to move Ricky Rubio to the bench. Don't have him start the game, you know, in that starting lineup. Instead, work him in in the second unit. And I say this, you know, because Ricky Rubio, honestly, in my mind, he's been the most frustrating player for the Jazz this year. And despite Gobert's bad year, and despite the fact that Gobert is last in plus minus, second to last in net rating, all that, I really feel like Ricky Rubio has proved the least out of all three of those guys that I've mentioned, all three of the tandem, especially as a member of the Jazz. So I think the first step, honestly, is to move him to the bench because there's been more stints where Gobert and Favors have looked good than Rubio has shown at all this season, certainly, um, and even in the past. And really the big thing is you got to stop starting these games out with that Rubio favors Gobert trio because we know that those three in the starting lineup just isn't working. There's no spacing. It hasn't been effective at all. It's making the Jazz get off to these slow starts that essentially dooms them before the game can even begin and they're playing catch up the whole time. Of course, if you're going to bench Ricky Rubio, then I guess the question, you know, that would be asked is, okay, you're going to put him in the second unit, then who's going to take his spot in the starting lineup? And I think the obvious answers in a perfect world would be Howell Neto or Dante Exum um, because naturally they're, they're point guards. Uh, but of course we know that Neto has dealt with quite a few injuries this year. Um, currently he um, has a concussion or at least it was experiencing concussion-like symptoms. He's probably going to miss some more time. And then of course uh, Dante Exum is out for most if not all the season. So neither of those are real options, um, at least not in the immediate future. Uh, you know, quick side note on that. You know, I feel like the Jazz really miss Dante Exum right now. Uh, he and Donovan Mitchell looked spectacular together in Summer League. I felt like they were going to be such a fun tandem to watch together. And really, in my mind, Exum would be the top candidate to take the place of a struggling Rubio. He'd be able to get to the rim. He would help with spacing. He would be, you know, um, a benefit to the offense, all that. But unfortunately, as we know, it's just not an option whatsoever. Um, so so those, even though Neto or Exum would be nice choices, um, it's not really going to work. I guess the other choice after that would be to, you know, make Donovan Mitchell the full-time starter at the point guard position, and you could put Hood back in the starting lineup at the shooting guard spot. I mean, he has been hurt, but there were reports released today that he is eyeing a return for Wednesday, so I guess that could potentially work. I mean, Donovan Mitchell has played relatively well at the point guard spot, 
it looks more and more like his future in the NBA may be as the point guard. Um, so I think there is some merit to that. But honestly, you know, I got to say, I've preferred how Hood has played off the bench. I think he's looked a lot better off the bench. I think we'd all agree with that. Pretty obvious. So I would rather keep him with the second unit. And the solution that I want to see, it's actually something that I wrote about earlier this week, is I think that Alec Burks should make the move to the starting lineup and let Hood continue to come off the bench. Um, you know, with how well Burks has played of late, I think he deserves that chance. And I'll be honest with you guys, I was kind of on the let's bench Burks train earlier in the year, and he's really surprised me. He's come back, he's played well, um, he's actually shooting really well from three, he's over 40%, he's been in more control, he's made better decisions, I feel like he has Quinn Snyder's trust back. He's looking more like the Burks of old, or, or better yet, like the Burks we all hoped that he would be. And if he's inserted into the starting lineup, I don't necessarily want him to be the two and Mitchell to be the one, but I like the idea of more of a positionless backcourt where Burks and Mitchell both share the ball handling duties. Um, they share the duties of initiating the offense. And I think the two of them together, they not only space the floor and they're both guys that can kill you from three and they can attack the rim. It just adds a lot more versatility in Utah's starting lineup that's been getting off the notoriously slow starts. And it kind of counterbalances having uh, Favors and Gobert on the floor together. And like I said, I feel like Favors and Gobert have shown they can work together. It's just Favors, Gobert, and Rubio that hasn't. So maybe inserting Alec Burks kind of cancels that out and, and it works for the Jazz. So in my mind, that's the first solution is we got to put Rubio on the bench. He hasn't been good. He's been even worse with Favors and Gobert. Alec Burks has been playing great. I like the idea of a Burks Mitchell positionless backcourt. That's the first solution. Then once you've done that, if if it just looks like that Favors Gobert tandem is not going to work, then as much as it pains me to say it, there's probably going to have to be a trade. It just doesn't make sense for both Favors and Gobert to play the center position because um, there's just not enough minutes for them. Or the alternative, if you want to try to play both of them, is you're trying to force one of the power forward position. It just doesn't work. You know, we have these guys that are very talented. You're not playing them for enough minutes. You might as well move them to where they can blossom and we can bring somebody else in who can take on more minutes. With that being said, there's been some that have surmised that the Jazz might make a trade after the December 15th deadline, which for those of you who don't know, that deadline on December 15th is when players who signed as free agents can officially be traded. Um, but honestly, I don't want the Jazz to go that route. I mean... I want them to see first what happens with, with putting Rubio on the bench and starting Alec Burks. Again, probably a long shot this happens, but it's just what I would like to see. And instead of making a knee-jerk reaction and moving you know, Favors or, or whoever it be at this deadline, I think the Jazz need to see if Gobert and Favors can really work together. They need to give that some more time. You know, we always knew that this season was going to be one of discovery, you know, one of experimenting. And I think it's too early to give up on Derek Favors. And obviously the Jazz aren't going to shy away from Rudy Gobert, who has been an excellent piece on that team and all NBA center and all of that. So I think the Jazz need to first and foremost, need to, you know, make a change with Rubio and then just see how things go with Gobert and Favors before making a trade. If by the trade deadline in February, you know, things still aren't working out. At that point, yeah, we may just have to, you know, nip it in the bud and make a change at the center position because if those two aren't going to work, um, there's no sense keeping him, especially if we know that Favors isn't going to want to stay after he's a free agent. It doesn't make sense to keep him around. However, I also see that if you keep Gobert and Favors and they start to work together, maybe the Jazz kind of change their perspective or change their outlook and they figure out that, hey, you know, we got something special with these two guys that are both really good. Um, let's let's keep them both around or let's see what we need to do here to, to keep favors in free agency. But based on what we've seen right now, we, we just can't make a good decision on how those two are going to work. And I feel like any trade right after that December 15th deadline would be kind of a knee-jerk reaction. 
Um, so I don't really like the thought there. In short, to kind of sum up point number two, you know, and what I've been trying to say with this solution, you know, as I said, I, I would like Burks into the starting lineup first to see if that helps improve the situation. Then from there, if things don't get better, then really the Jazz might need to look to move one or more of that trio that has struggled together. So most likely that would be Rubio or Favors. I mean, I guess in in crazy talk, we, we look at what we get for Gobert. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't want that to happen. Uh, but, you know, there's also a part of me that doesn't want to move Favors because he's looked really good this year when Gobert hasn't been on the floor. Um, but with all that being said, you know, I think one of the three, you know, would have to probably be moved eventually. Um, in my mind, I'd like to see Rubio moved before anybody because I feel like he's been the poorest fit. He's been one of the biggest problems for the Jazz. Um, I don't know what they could get for him right now just because of how bad he's looked this year. But that would be the avenue I would explore first if putting Burks in the starting lineup doesn't work. So that's my thoughts. Obviously, it's a tough situation. There's not an easy answer. There's not an easy solution. But with the Jazz's recent woes and with their problems of late, that's the solution I see best fit. With that being said, let's let's stop trying to solve the world's problems here and move on instead to point number three, taking a look at the week ahead. Point three. So taking a look at the week ahead for the Utah Jazz, obviously, you know, we hope they have a little bit better week than last week. Uh, they went just one and three. I thought they would go two and two. I thought they would get that last win of the week over the Milwaukee Bucks. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, so they did go just one and three. Uh, this week, unfortunately, though, doesn't get much easier um, aside from the first game of the week, which will be on Wednesday. Uh, but now, based on recent games, um, both on how the Jazz have played and how the Bulls have played, I don't know if it's going to be that easy. Um, on Wednesday, the Jazz will be at Chicago. And, you know, the Bulls have looked horrible all year long, but all of a sudden they're, they're playing really well. They're pretty hot. Um, they only have six wins on the season, but half of those have come over the last three games. Um, you know, so the Bulls, they've won three in a row, including on Monday night, they had a surprising blowout win over the Boston Celtics. Um, of course, that did come with Kyrie Irving out of action. Uh, but still, the fact that the Bulls came out and just blew the Celtics off the floor like that was pretty impressive. And believe it or not, the Bulls are now actually undefeated since Nikola Mirotic returned to action. He played very well against Boston on Monday night. He put up 24 points. So this isn't a team the Jazz can sleep on. They're playing extremely well. Um, even so, you know, when you look at the three games the Bulls have won, um, they beat the Hornets and the Knicks, who aren't overly impressive. And they beat the Celtics without Kyrie Irving. Um, overall, I feel like the Bulls have an extreme lack of talent or depth. And despite their, their little winning streak they're on right now, I think the Jazz should win this one. I think they're going to win this one. I do have a few concerns, though. It's not going to be necessarily an easy win. You know, the Jazz have played very bad on the road. They're just 2-9, and nine, so that worries me a bit. Uh, but on the flip side of that, you know, they've had three days off to prepare. Rodney Hood could very well be back in action. And also the last time the Jazz had significant rest, um, you know, like they do right now, they've, they've had the three games off, three days off going into this game. Last time they had something like that to help them earn that six-game winning streak. So I think that Quinn Snyder is going to have them very prepared. They're going to be ready to go against this Bulls team. I think the Jazz are going to win on Wednesday to get back on track. Then on Friday, they'll be at Boston. Um, you know, if Kyrie Irving doesn't play like he didn't against the Bulls, that should help the Jazz. Uh, but quite honestly, I feel like there's just too much working against Utah in this one. I mean, they've been awful on the road, as I mentioned. They've struggled against even mediocre defenses. And the Celtics have been one of, if not the best defensive team in the NBA. Um, so it's going to be hard for me to imagine the Jazz getting enough points, getting enough rhythm uh, to beat this Celtics team. Obviously, this game would have a lot more significance if Hayward was playing. Um, but I think even without him in action, the Jazz are still going to come out with a pretty big chip on their shoulder, knowing that this Boston team was the one that stole their all-star away. And they're really going to want to win this one. So that could help. You know, some of that passion, some of that determination could help sway things in their favor. But even, even with all that, 
I just think based on Utah's recent struggles, based on how bad they've been on the road and how bad they've looked in this three-game losing streak, and just how good the Celtics' defense is, I think Boston's going to win this one quite easily. I'm not feeling very high hopes for the Jazz in that second game of the week. Last game will be on Saturday, uh, second night of a back-to-back in Cleveland. Um, that's a tough situation, um, especially with how hot Cleveland has been of late. They're arguably the hottest team in the league right now. They were just barely on a 13-game win streak that was snapped by the Indiana Pacers on Friday. Um, they did bounce back and beat the Sixers a day later, which makes them winners of 14 of their last 15. So, you know, despite that one loss there, obviously the Cavs have been playing phenomenal basketball. And principal among them has been LeBron James, but also you have Kevin Love, you have Dwayne Wade that have been playing extremely well. Um, you know, LeBron is looking like a top MVP candidate this year. I just feel like the Jazz don't have anybody that can match up with him. You know, I'm excited to see Tabo Cephalosha guard LeBron in a Jazz uniform. But speaking as far as a key matchup and someone who offensively can match wit for wit with LeBron, the Jazz obviously don't have anybody that comes anywhere close. And then as I mentioned, with this being the second night of a back-to-back, on the road where the Jazz have struggled, the Cavs, whether they're hot or not, they're simply one of the best teams in the league, and they are hot, so that makes it even harder. I just don't see Utah having much chance in this one at all. So I'm pinning the Jazz to lose both their games on Friday and Saturday, uh, which would put them at 1-2 and two on the week. That overall would put them at 14-16, and 16, uh, which is not a great record by any means, but it could be worse. They just need to hover right around 500 through the end of December in my mind. But to do that, they absolutely need to beat the Bulls on Wednesday because unfortunately next week and the rest of the month isn't getting any easier. Um, so even though the Bulls, I want to say it should be an easy win, but just based on what we've seen so far out of the Bulls and the Jazz, there's no guarantee there. So the Jazz can't come out flat-footed. If they go 0-3 this week, it would put them four games under four under 500, excuse me, which would, which would be a bad spot to be in with how hard this month is. Um, more than anything, though, I mean, I want to see the Jazz go at least 1-2. and two. That's kind of the bare minimum of what I'd like to see. But beyond that, I'd say what I want to see even more is just some sort of change. Um, the Rubio favors Gobert starting lineup is just not working, and I want us to stop beating our heads up against the wall. You know, I want to see us try to have at least some attempt at changing and fixing that instead of sticking in the same rut that we've been in. A lot of people are saying that, you know, the Jazz shouldn't take shouldn't make a change unless they're positive it's going to work but i disagree with that i really feel like you know at, at this point taking a risk and making a change is better than sticking with the same thing and beating our head against the wall over and over again and doing something that we just know isn't going to work as i've said multiple times this is a year of discovery a kind of a year of experimentation so let's experiment let's find out what's going to work what's not going to work and we know pretty dang well at this point that rubio favors gobert doesn't work together so i hope in this week rather than continue to fall in that same pit that same trap we make a change like I said, I'd love to see Alec Burks in the starting lineup or at least something done differently so that we're not falling into the same woes that we've been in. Anyway, that's my that's my thoughts for this week. Obviously, last week was disappointing. It um, would be nice to see the Jazz bounce back in some fashion. Going to be a tough ask um, with Boston and Cleveland on the road in back-to-back games this week. If they could steal one of those two, I'd be absolutely ecstatic. Um, at this point, though, I'm just banking on hoping they can go one and two at a bare minimum because that's what the Jazz need to stay afloat. That's going to do it for today's show, everybody. Thank you for listening. Um, you know, Don't give up on the Jazz. I know this is a tough month. We all knew it was going to be. Things are going to get better. I, I still have high hopes for this team, not only this year but beyond. I believe in Quinn Snyder, and I think things are going to turn around in a hurry. So until next time, guys, so long, and keep cheering strong for those Jazz.